0: Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, Season 7, Episode 5. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of Project Voice. Um, I do feel it necessary to state for the record that ever since I started wearing my Tennessee Titans visor on the video feed of this show, that the Titans have gone 3-0, and they're now 3-2 and after starting the season 0-2, so I'm, I'm letting the, the good karma keep rolling here, and I'm wearing my Mariners uh, pullover now. Uh, the Mariners need it today uh, after a disastrous ninth-inning loss to start the series against the Astros. Enough about all of that. We've got a great panel of uh, guests to, that have uh, been generous to give us their time and their expertise today. Uh, I'm going to start with Ben Brown. Uh, ben. Uh, Thank you for being on the show. Tell us who you are. Tell us who you're with.
1: Absolutely. And likewise, uh, Bradley, thank you very much for hosting. And Catherine and Brett, it is a pleasure to be on with you. So I'm Ben Brown. I serve as vice president of marketing at Converse Now. Converse Now is a voice AI platform that automates phone and drive-through orders for leading restaurant chains. So we provide virtual ordering assistants that take limitless calls at once with remarkable accuracy. And that enhances guest experience by ending hold times, ending missed calls, so that when you're ordering that pizza on a Friday night that that call and that order will actually get placed. Uh, it relieves a tremendous amount of stress on staff and in an industry-wide labor shortage. Um, it's, it's giving owners and operators necessary productivity uh, and retention that they need among their staff, and you know we're we're doing some great things financially for restaurants as well. So, uh, just it's it's been spectacular seeing how voice AI has made such a dramatic impact on the restaurant industry. And of course, I'm excited to engage in this discussion where we're seeing how voice continues to evolve in the broader sphere of things.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you on the show, and you're right. Restaurants are uh, are booming. You know, it's that beginning of the supernova like we saw with contact centers you know 18 24 months ago it's that same exact pattern again thank you for being on the show absolutely next up we have cat judas of talk via cat say hello well hello <laughs> it's great to have you on the show tell us who you are tell us who you're with
2: excellent well thank you bradley and and ben and brett uh pleasure to to be on the show today with you all so i'm uh Dialing in from Australia, Talkvia is a uh, conversational AI company. We've uh, got quite a few different uh, offers in the marketplace, and and have been uh, providing voice solutions for about five years now. So, Talk Talkvia um, had started and really focused in on that media kind of uh, cool talk back to to add space. And what we found is that. Um, Though we have some applications out there in the media space, utility is really the the, the focus and um, probably the the value that is coming um, for our customers. So, utility in the context of find the cheapest fuel or check check my lottery tickets, and uh, we're focusing on um, going after that uh, call center and and voice AI, and also looking at uh, some opportunities in the security space. So um as far as uh the uh watching the advent of voice and and how it's changed over the last few years it's it's actually a really exciting time um i uh, my background is uh with microsoft and one of the things that i really had hoped to see is is voice take over as a a way of being able to kind of control your technology and, and interface with your computer. And I've been disappointed in how long that's taken. And I think that it's time for voice to really start to uh, enable people to do a lot more efficient and, and effective engagement with technology.
0: Hey, well, well said. Thank you for joining us, joining us on the show. Last but not least, Brett Adler. Brett, it's great to see you. Tell us who you are, tell us about Voice PT.
3: Thank you. Thanks for having me here. And again, great to be here with all of you. Uh, my name is Brett Adler, co-founder and CEO of Voice PT. Our mission is to make physical therapy simple, accessible, and convenient. Uh, we're building a multimodal voice assistant that guides physical therapy patients through every step of their home exercise programs. Uh, our goal, we're we're making uh, using Voice PT is like having a physical therapist in the room with you. And uh, super happy to announce here, it just came out yesterday, we were one of the runner-ups for um, an Amazon Alexa skills challenge uh, focused on aging and engaging. Uh, So that was exciting for us. And um, it's a big deal because my background is I've spent about 30 years in software development and the app came around because I had been doing software development so long that I had repetitive stress injuries and lost much usage of my right arm and had to go through two major surgeries, including one on my shoulder and one on my neck. I have metal in my neck um, from that. And so I had to go through a lot of recovery and I I needed to be successful in it. I couldn't get back to work if I didn't. And so it's literally taken me years. I'm just starting to get to where I'm functional, did this trip and didn't have any pain. And that was a, a first for me. And so it's it's sort of crazy for me in a way to go from Bradley, I've known since the early days. I think the first conference I went to was Voice of Healthcare in 2019 before COVID. And so I've come a long way uh, since this, you know, just app I made for myself that now we're winning an award and starting to talk to customers and looking at uh, going further.
0: So I'm uh, excited about our future. So I'm excited to be here. Thanks it's uh, great to hear all of that and uh yeah it's uh you know we go way back and uh 2019 in this space is like 2019 bc you know um, so it's like uh yeah no and you got a ton of good momentum Brett it's great to have you on the show so with that we're going to get to the news and uh wanted to start this show off with a with a uh, topic that we have discussed on this show multiple times um really from the very beginning of their announcement of this we have covered bank of america's uh endeavors in the the voice assistant virtual assistant space i'm going to read this from reuters bank of america's clients use virtual assistant over 1 billion times and this is uh it's essentially the company's press release with a little bit added added to it um, but I feel like this is just something important to cover and Kat, I want to start with you um, you know uh, interesting thing Bank of America has done here we've covered every with this thing every which way since it's been going from the fact they named it Erica and everything mm-hmm. about that to the role it plays um, I would love to just get your thoughts on, this news, uh, anything that stood out to you and just your thoughts on what Bank of America is doing in general.
2: I, I love to see the thought leadership there and if you think about um, security and authorization and authentication, voice is actually a, a great tool that that you can use to um, uniquely identify a person as well as uh, be able to, to do a lot of effective things. I. I'm impressed with uh, what Bank of America has done with Erica, and and how they've been able to actually identify the need to tune the application and and continually improve it so that it is effective for customers. Hitting that billion dollar, or sorry, billion dollar billion uh, transactions or interactions is is a massive milestone, and I think they've done it in a fairly short period of time. So, um, I you know I I guess that. Uh, it's interesting to, to watch how voice has worked around the globe. And though I'm, you know, grew up in, in the U S from a, from a career perspective, Australia is a, it is is a different marketplace and, um, I think what Bank of America has done has really been an outstanding example here, as far as what a company can do with voice and how they can engage with their customers and improve their their customer service. And you know, I think it was Ben earlier and he talked about um, restaurants and and challenges with employees. And I think that's a, a global problem where you you've got a lot of people services. And especially hospitality that's having a really hard time filling those those roles and, and enabling um, even adequate customer service. I'll, I'll tell you, customer service in Australia is not what it is in the U.S., which is unfortunate. And uh, the fact that there's a people shortage makes it a, a, a real challenge. And if you can use technology to answer questions and allow people to get to the information that they need and do it in an effective way and have a positive interaction on the other side of it, it's, it's good for everybody. And um, so to, to see a a big bank be able to, to leverage that and and do it in a positive way, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted, right? You know, I think that it's a, it's a massive uh, milestone in the marketplace and, Um, gives me a lot of hope for, you know, what we're doing and as well as what's going to happen in the industry.
0: No, I think that's, that's, that's well said. And yeah, it's, it's, um, it's hard to look at it from any other way other than it's a achievement. And, uh, you know, we'll rotate through the order throughout the show. Brett, I'm going to go to you next uh, on this, and then Ben, I'll go to you on the story as well. Brett, I want to get your thoughts on the story in general, if any, what might have stood out to you, but also at the same time, you know, present this as, you know, you're close to the Alexa ecosystem, you have been for some time. Um, in an alternate universe, this could have been something that lived in the Alexa ecosystem. I think it was probably envisioned to be that way at the beginning. I think Bank of America had some initial experiments. With the Alexa ecosystem, been led to Erica, if our memory serves. What's what's the statement there in your mind too? So I'll sort of position both of them to you, and want to get your thoughts.
3: Yeah, first of all, as far as the Alexa side of it goes, I think it you know would be a, a great use case to be on Alexa. I suspect some of it had to do with um, you know who owns the data and you know privacy and security and things where they needed to have more control and they not want to be passing some of that through Amazon. So I imagine that may be some of the reason, um, but it certainly seems like I would want to be able to have that feature. So I don't know if they will at some point bring that into the picture, but I'm wondering if that's, you know, because obviously they've got the engine for it. They've got a lot of it figured out. So I don't think there's not a technical reason probably why they couldn't. So I, I wonder if it's more of a business decision that way. Um, but I think it's, it really is impressive. I remember hearing about it early on when it came out. And I think what it shows is it's a, it's a really good use case, right? I mean, it's really pretty straightforward. People want to know their balances or, or some of those transactions a lot. I think it's the kind of thing that people would come back to often. There's some skills out there, right, that the learning curve isn't worth it for the amount of times you want to come back. But I think for something like this, you're, you could, I mean, for some people, it could be every day, it could you know, every week when they're paying their bills, um, you know, someone needs money and they got to figure out if they have it. So I think that, um, I think that it, they, it was really smart of them to build it. And I think that it's, uh, you know, I can see why it would take off because it's got that frequent usage. Um, I do think that um, one of the things they are probably gonna run into, I saw they're talking about going beyond some of that more into their financial products and things like that. And I do wonder when they start to get into some of that, if they're gonna start finding some more problems and more difficulty, you know, it's one thing to say, what is my balance or you know things like that or transfer x dollars from a to b but i think as they start to try to sell products and automate some of you know what a teller and what a banker would do i suspect they're going to run into some more trouble but maybe they've figured it out by now
0: well yeah i mean hopefully they push the envelope enough to you know to encounter problems and then solve them, and it seems like they're sort of committed to that. I I, I agree with a lot of what you said, and Ben, I'm going to turn to you. Um, I want to get your thoughts on the story as well. Whatever stood out to you the most, um, but also you know, your from your point of view, you know, and what uh, you know, Converse now does. Um, I think it's interesting to note here that uh, I think it's a given for the, for all of us on the show, but not necessarily everybody. When, when voice assistants, virtual assistants, whatever you want to call the, you know, I've long since stopped referring to stuff just as voice. I mean, these are, vir- virtual assistants are probably a good word. The line is so blurred between voice and chat. When these things work, they really work. So when they work, you get a billion interactions, right? And um, even if it's a company like Bank of America, where there might be a discussion on how trustworthy of a partner they, they might be, um, you, you know, Everything you're doing with restaurants relies on trust as well, because you—if you, it really, really works—you're uh, going to have a bunch of customers lining up to to help augment the labor shortage through that. Talk talk to about the trust aspect of it, and anything else that stood out to you.
1: Yeah, um, these are all great great points, uh, Bradley, and I'll also tackle them one by one. W- looking at this story, um, the the big headline is the big number, right? B of A. Their, their, their customers have used Erica, their virtual assistant, more than a billion times. A billion, that's a large number. Um, and by the way, yes, we, uh, we use the term virtual assistant for our AI. And it's you know very matter of fact statement. We don't really like talking about it as a bot uh, just because it, it's more than that, right? It's, it's, some, it's someone almost that you're interfacing with um, as, a, as a guest, as a client. but the metric that really stood out to me is one that's actually not directly published in this piece. So Bank of America talks about how 32 million customers have used Erica um, or spoken with Erica more than a billion times in total. What, What that means is that the average Bank of America customer has used this service more than 30 times over the course of four years. So that to me shows incredible stickiness. So you don't, you don't have a bunch of people who call in, they speak with Erica, they do it once for the novelty. And then after that, they're like, no, I just really want to go back and speak with the teller. What that this, what this is saying is that the average person is, is is speaking with Erica on a very regular basis, more than 30 times. That to me shows a, a incredible adoption of this voice AI product. And Looking looking at it beyond restaurants, beyond banking, in the case of B of A, we're looking at the growth of voice AI as a whole. We're looking at the category. And as you know, that you know, 2019 might as well be in 2019 BC. Um, this category is still in its infancy, and we we are really starting to see mainstream adoption becoming imminent and happening a lot quicker than outsiders might otherwise think. And this is a very, very firm case in stating that, where you know, your average B of A customer isn't going to be a, a tech expert. They're not going to be a voice AI aficionado. They're just regular people um, that are simply seeing that this is giving them the guest experience and the high-touch experience they're looking for. Uh, you know that while banking and restaurants are very different verticals, um, and while ordering food is very different than just you know getting a, a a a balance you know confirmation, the the processes are very much the same. Where the the a user calls in, they're placing an inquiry, and the virtual assistant is is talking them through it, and they're talking them through it in a way that a live person otherwise would, and that. These are, it is not cut and dry, right? Checking your balance, it can be a very simple interaction, but it often isn't. You just think about the dialogue that you will have with a human being when talking to them on the phone. Um, you know, in, in our case, right, someone's not just going to order a double cheeseburger with fries and a Coke. They're going to say, yeah, I'll take a, I'll, I'll take a burger, make, make it a double burger, I'll take... Um, you know, ketchup, no mustard, light relish. Uh, add some bacon, actually no scratch the bacon, and you know, gimme give, give me a large fry and actually make it a diet coke. Um, because make I'm it obviously- yeah, yeah. So it, it is not it's not a plain and simple thing. So being able to train uh AI to handle these interactions, and I'm sure that B of A has done their equivalent of Working with so many different iterations of the same request, and it's showing that it clearly works.
0: Well, yeah, for t- complete agreement on that, and it's it's um, it's a really powerful thing to sort of gaze upon because for a lot of time in this space, you know, think about how this started. So first of all, there's been decades of work that's gone into that led up, you know, led up to Alexa coming out, which really was considered the inflection point of the space. And then Alexa, Google Assistant, and, you know, Siri was always running sort of in the background. And then now we've got a lot of independent players doing a lot of independent things, but uh, still in the minds of a lot of people, this stuff is squarely in the fad zone, you know, in the gimmick zone. And uh, when everybody who works with it knows knows better than that, and it's always good to see something that just reaffirms um, the utility and uh, the value behind, uh, you know, what all of us are are working on in different ways. Great comments all the way around. Any any closing thoughts on this story before we move on?
1: Um, I think that the 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 number one thing that anyone in voice has to be concerned with is the end user experience. So in B of A's case, right? It's their clients. It's the people banking with them. In our case, it's loyal customers that order a pizza every Friday night. And what is going to keep them happy? And what's going to keep them coming back in the way that they would without prior to voice AI? And how do you how do you enhance their experience for them to not only keep coming back to you know, patronize the business, but to embrace voice as not just a fad or a novelty but as truly a a better way of doing things and it looks like B of A is doing just that.
0: Wouldn't it be interesting to know um, I remember doing a story on this show that was early on season one or two or something where one of the uh, main use cases for Alexa was asking Alexa to marry it uh, or will you marry me and you know there's a whole rat's nest of issues there we don't need to go into all that but um, wouldn't it be interesting to see what sort of queries are at the long tails of uh, B B of A's uh, Erica? Um, you know, I, I could see some things angry customers might be saying to them. I would, I, I, somebody somewhere has got that data. It'd be interesting to see, but we'll we'll move on. Great, great way to start. So I'm going to read uh, this um, headline out loud for story number two. This is from. Stanford's Human-Centered Artificial Intelligence, Is It My Turn Yet? Teaching a Voice Assistant When to Speak. And this is one of these long-form, uh, not that long, but kind of long-form pieces that we see from time to time. There's a lot of meat on the bones here. Um, Brett, I'm going to start with you and then Ben and then Kat uh, for this. Um, Brett, uh, there, there's a lot to this. What uh, What caught your eye? What stood out?
3: Yeah, I thought it was really interesting um, how they talk about, you know, going beyond. So for those that maybe haven't read it, I just want to, you know, to summarize one of the points is that they talk about, you know, when should the voice assistant speak? And it should they're going beyond the the empty space, the, the pause, right? So if you're talking to a voice assistant, typically most of them now, if you're answering a question, you're asking it a question when you stop for even a second. All of a sudden it starts to answer. But in real life, a lot of people pause, they um, they think. Um, you know, same thing, I'm sure, like with ordering food, right? You're you're looking at the menu, you've got pauses. It doesn't mean you're done ordering or don't, you know, want anything else. And so I think that I see this with the physical therapy side too, where people, when they start interacting with it, they're not sure when they should speak, when it's going to speak. And so I think it's really interesting the idea of, of. starting to predict when is the right time for the voice assistant to speak or not speak, when it's gotten the answers it needs or not. Um, And so I think that that's going to really help take voice assistants to the next level where they can understand the emotion, right? If you say yes or no right now, you know, um, let's take physical therapy, for example. If it says, you know, are you ready for the next exercise? And I say no, I could say no in a nice way or I could say no in an angry way. And it would certainly be good for us to understand or in pain, you know, like if they're hurting or the way they answer out of breath or things like that. I could see a lot of use cases where it's not just the answer that we're looking for, but what kind of answer, right? Or if they repeat that over time, if they've done three exercises in and they start, you know, responding differently, then maybe even if the words are the same, but we can hear it in their voice that they're getting tired or they're getting things like that. So I think the idea of being able to, I find it really interesting to be able to read past the wording and to start to get to the emotion and inflection, tone, things like that. Um, And it also got me thinking about where they'll go next, right? Right now they're talking about the voice, but what about hands? What about your body movement, right? If you walk away, if you get closer to it, right? If you're um, stop or start or things like that where the voice assistant can go beyond just voice and start to read uh, more input and know maybe when to speak or when not to or how it should respond based on on all those different factors so uh, it's definitely going to be interesting it's something to watch to see how they're able to to take it beyond just the the natural language processing of what they actually said but how they said it
0: complete agreement yeah no i think it's time for 2.0 if you want to call it that ben i'm going to ask you the same question interesting article here from stanford what stood out to you
1: yeah, it's, it's interesting indeed. So this team at Stanford is delving into a, a treasure trove within the voice realm. And that is not just deciphering speech, right? And that's what all the voice AI platforms, ours included, are doing. But going into sentiment, going into prosody, um, and really matching the emotion and recognizing the kind of sentiment to deliver to the 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 end user, um, based on their mood, based on, you know, the, I guess the type of emotional response you need to give them uh, given the context to the conversation. Um, it's very, very different to speak with, you know, someone who's excited to order dinner versus someone who's calling an insurance company to talk about their 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 recently deceased spouse and how they, proceed with next steps legally there, right? Um, The same assistant cannot take the same tone for both people. And this article specifically is talking about timing. So it's saying, this this team from Stanford's approach is, okay, not just waiting for the opportunity to speak, but, but understanding when the time is appropriate to speak. And those are two very different things. Um, I'm I'm comparing it to a conversation. If you're speaking with a narcissist, right, they just can't wait to get their two cents in and they don't care what you have to say, they're just gonna respond with the first thing on their mind, versus speaking with someone who is warm and endearing and truly hears what you have to say, and then provides a thoughtful response at the appropriate time. And they're going for the latter. I think, you know, as, as Brett noted, that would be great. And I'm really excited for it to happen. Um, I'm interested to see how fast voice will evolve for, as you noted, um, 2.0 to really enter the, enter the game. Because as of right now, um, just being able to decipher speech it, it is difficult enough, you know, because our category is admittedly so young, all the players in the game are doing a great job of it. And being able to raise AI completion rates to a level that matches and surpasses, you know, what a human counterpart would be able to do but to add a completely new dimension of emotion into that at for where we are right now that adds a layer of complexity that um that that makes things just a lot more interesting i don't think that uh i think it's it's great that we are looking at 2.0 before be, before everyone has truly mastered 1.0 like we're 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 getting there right we're at black diamond level i don't know if we're at double black diamond level if anyone is um but to already be thinking about that next phase um while we're still getting through the current phase is where the category needs to be so um it, it's a it's a good first look into what a lot of teams are doing uh and this team is certainly not alone in it there are a wealth of of groups out there both you know, in an academic setting, um, as well as a private sector setting that are, that are investing very heavily into sentiment research and into making, um, making voice AI more sentimental for a lack of a better word. So, uh, I guess my, my thoughts are, I'm interested to see where it goes from here and how quickly it will take hold.
0: Yeah, no, I think, uh, I think we're all on that page. And Kat, I'm going to turn to you. Um, Same question for you. Um, Interesting piece. What stood out?
2: Oh, I think what, what really triggered for me is the fact that voice is the first opportunity that we get to integrate with and interact with technology and we're not, and we're expecting more from our technology. And, you know, I, I had the opportunity, I started programming in, in the early nineties and, um, the expectation of the customer experience in, in the early 90s was, was limited. Actually, if there was even a notion of, of customer experience technology back then was the fact that you had it and you could interact with it. And, you know, we were, we were just trying to figure out what we could do with it. And as as the technology and the consumer matured in the early 2000s, there was an expectation around user experience and, and the ability for the technology to actually be relevant to the user instead of the user having to figure out how the technology was relevant. And voice is the first time where we actually are expecting our technology to be a little bit more human and a little bit more natural and, and a little bit more effortless. And this, the article from Stanford is, is talking about the fact that it, it's it's acknowledged that voice isn't any of those things. I mean, it is and it isn't, right? I mean, how voice has improved in the relevance and, and the capability over the past three years has been amazing and, and massive progress. But at the same time, it's still not like talking to a person. And that pause is one of the, the biggest challenges that we've had to encounter in one of the areas that at Talk Fire, we've spent probably most of our, our, our thinking is how do we put a a conversation together? How do we design that conversation so that there isn't a pause because the speakers are going to do the wrong thing when the pause happens? And and if we can actually start to to think more about this interaction as a conversation and and have our technology respond like a person, then it's gonna make a a much more Beneficial and valuable interaction for the the customer and 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 for that use case. Um, the other question that it, it brings up, though, is at, at, at what point do we want our technology to stop being too human like? We're not there yet, and I think we've got a lot a lot of time before we do get there. But, but as, as with anything, it's a continuum, and and you know when when do we need to to to, to stop and say I I don't want my 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 voice interaction, my virtual assistant to to be too too human-like, right? I, I, I do want people to actually recognize the fact that it it is technology and not a human. And um, you know, voice isn't the only area. I think gaming and and the ability to 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 put a a, a gaming character together that might actually look like a human. And, and I know that there's the the fourth article that we'll talk about um touches on on this as well. But I, you know, I, it, 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 it's an interesting conundrum because you've got this, how do I make, make the solution effortless and how do I make it valuable for the customer? But at the same time, how do I, I not go too far and, and um, uh, get to a point where people get confused around whether they're dealing with a person or they're dealing with technology. So um, I, I'm not sure if that all makes sense, but that was kind of where, where I went when I was reading the article.
0: Yeah, it makes perfect sense. So yeah, it's great comments all the way around. And, and, and uh, before we move on, Ben, if you got another comment, uh, go ahead and do that and we'll move on to story number three.
1: Yeah, Kat, you just brought up a really good point on like where do we draw the line and how human we want this to be. Uh, there's been so many discussions and and a, a couple of groups have led some studies in this crevice that takes place where people know how to respond to a virtual assistant. They know how to respond to a human But when there's confusion about where that that other person is or that other assistant is on the spectrum, people's brains just get completely scrambled. So um, what we found is introducing yourself as a virtual assistant helps clear the air and it makes that human-like interaction uh, a bit more digestible for people. So... Um, just always knowing how to tread carefully. And that I think is vital for any group embarking on voice to, to keep in mind.
0: It's an interesting story and I definitely wanted to include it. It's a, um, you know, it's getting to the point now where we're seeing think pieces coming out of academia pretty reg- regularly enough to include almost one every, every show. And it was good to Touch on that here. Great points. Appreciate the comments on that. Moving on, story number three. This is from voicebot.ai. Google permanently parks assistant driving mode. So, um, short story, interesting implications. Uh, ben, I'm going to start with you, then cat and Brett. Um, your thoughts.
1: Yeah, um, it's funny. I'm glad that you that we're talking about the VoiceBot article. I actually just had dinner with Brett Kinsella of voicespot.ai. I'm sorry uh, the other you're day. Autistic. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, it was it was it was it was great to speak with him. He is certainly um a, a sage in the voice world, as are you, Bradley. Uh and um I I think that to me, this is just a bit less of a voice story and a bit more of just Google, you know, looking at their consumer data and seeing how people are using their product. Um, You know, Google's voice technology is of course great. And it's just about how people are interacting with driving mode, right? If people are already using the maps function and they're just basically migrating this back to maps and having people use what they're gonna, what they're already using, you know, don't don't fight that force majeure. Um, just, you know, go go with the tide. And I I really see this as consumers are certainly utilizing um, Google's technology, and Google is just recognizing the best channel with which that's taking place. So yeah, there's some internal consolidation there, uh, but to me, it it speaks volumes to how much people are using this service. Even if it's just on a different aspect of you know Google's massive product suite, um, so that's I, that that those were the first notes that I got from this piece. Um,
0: yeah, that yeah, makes, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. And uh, and just on, to put the put a button on voicebot. So I I haven't figured it out, but I I think there's only two or three episodes of this show across seven seasons where we have not had a voicebot article. So it's kind of a, a a running joke, and yeah, Brett uh, and his contributions, as well as Eric and his his team, um, are uh, are immense. Cat, I'm going to turn to you. Same question: short story, big impact. What stood out to you?
2: I uh, probably because I'm a a veteran of the software industry. To me, this is just a natural evolution of um, a big company that is taking a, a a lot of different approaches to addressing voice and and how how to solve it and and it's retiring a piece of technology that that wasn't as relevant as how people were using the technology. So it's about that maturization of um, them understanding who their consumer is, how how that consumer is actually starting to to appreciate how voice can work for them and and acknowledging that that you know th- this one piece of of tech is probably, you know, the not worth the 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 time that they would have to invest in it to make it worthwhile and if I'm I tend to to use voice differently than um and I'm 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 not a Google user which probably tells you what platform I am on um so I I can't speak firsthand how how the technology works specifically but I I assume that that people are probably in working inside of, of, and the article talked about being inside of maps versus actually having to invoke a driving mode on on the phone. So that's a technology that's probably not natural to how people use their phones and how they use their cars. And um, those that were using it were, were taking the effort and and had to be educated on how to use it. And being able to use voice inside of maps makes a lot more sense because when you're, you know, when when you're trying to get somewhere, you're actually in the maps context. So, I I, I guess I just see this as a, a a natural maturity in in the you know kind of life cycle of where voice is and you know Google is a large company trying to figure out what what's relevant and what's not.
0: Complete agreement, and I think Ben spoke to a little bit to it too. I think uh, you know it's it's, a, it's maturity is a good word. I think for what's going on in this piece, Brett. I'm going to turn to you um you've heard uh two two views on this uh you agree you disagree what stood out
3: yeah i agree with a lot of what was said and i uh used to be a google uh android user so i remember some of the earlier versions of it um but i have since moved on and used apple and so i often use airplay or uh, carplay i think it is in my car and so i have some feeling of the experience of this and what i have realized is that or, or part of why I think they're doing this is just a better user experience to be built into the maps, um, and also now we have much more prevalence of the of people having you know screens in their cars, right? So trying to do it on your phone is not as good as you know. So as soon as I get in my car, I plug my phone right in, and then I'm mostly using you know the screen in my car, and so I think that um, I think it's just a better user experience. I also think that. Um, they're going to be encouraging voice more. So some of those things, you're driving, you really shouldn't be pressing buttons as much and looking at your phone and fumbling around. So I think having where it's just your your like even on uh, CarPlay, you can pick either you know just see your one app, where they do have a dashboard view where you can see a map and a destination, but also your calendar and whatever. And for a while, I tried that, but in the end, I always found that I'm driving. What I need more than anything is that screen, first and foremost, to be focused on the driving. And the other stuff being ancillary. So I think that, um, again, it was probably as others have said, it just wasn't probably used as much because people have the map screen up. And so I think it makes a better experience. It encourages voice more if I want to play music or I want to do some of those things they have big tiles for. Nowadays, people can just, you know, say, play Spotify or something like that. They don't have to go fumble to press that button. So I think it's a, a natural evolution, as was said, of the user experience and the technology that's being more built right into cars, so it's not as needed.
0: Complete agreement. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's interesting, right? Because the the first story we covered about ba- Bank of America sort of shows um, the success, what success looks like. You know, um, the second story is more about the yearning. For more, you know, more across the board. We need more. And then this third story is a, kind of a recognition of,, ah, we don't know everything about all this.'re um, we're, gonna, we're gonna break some stuff along the way and in, to, to trying to figure out uh, the best way to deliver deliver the, the value that the voice holds. Um, I just think it's fascinating. I thought it was worth including. Any closing thoughts? Briefly, I want to make sure we leave uh, a full 10 minutes for this final story. Any closing thoughts? Okay, let's move on. Uh, And this final story um, is an important one. Um, This is from Ars Technica. I could have pulled it from anywhere. A lot of people talking about this. Fake Joe Rogan interviews fake Steve Jobs in an AI-powered podcast. So <laughs> I, I intentionally chose one slanted this direction, which you can tell from the headline, uh, how the author feels about this. Um, Kat, I'm gonna start with you and Brett and then Ben um, for this. I, I just wanna get your thoughts. Um, mm-hmm. This is uh, controversial. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, share with me what you felt and thought as you read this.
2: Oh, I think that this article opens the Pandora's box around you know voice printing and rights of, of voice and you, you know I mean uh, the the first thing that that comes to mind is you know Joe Rogan and, and Steve Jobs I mean to to um to massive personalities that people understand and and voices that are are easily recognizable and. The the technology that is is compromising them in the fact that they're 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 doing something without their permission, right? And and as you said, that that's definitely the slant of the story. And I, I think it, it it's really interesting. You know, we we have trademarks for and we have um, you know IP protections for the 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 written and the the digital. But um, right now we don't necessarily have much around. Um, IP around voice, like a voice print or, you know, is, is my voice mine, right? Do I have access to that? Could someone go and create a, a Catherine Judas application and start saying things that I wouldn't actually say? And what are my rights? You know, is it, is is, is it an IP issue? Is it a, a reputational issue? It, you know, and and uh, I think these are all the questions that are going to have to get answered as as voice becomes more prominent in in the use of, of technology, and um, one of the things that that we've done at TalkFi is talked about the ability to to have a conversation, but then to mint it. So the idea is that if it's not if it's not minted, then it, it it's not protected and and it can't be uh, um, trusted. So I, I I do think that there's going to be a lot that's going to happen around this space, and and you know it's kind of the it another 18 to 24 months and and then about five years after that we'll we'll see a lot of of things playing out in in courts and in you know registry offices and and um you know what what voice means i i suspect that each person's individual voice will become theirs and we get to own it and nobody will have a right to play my voice without my consent or permission and if they do then i have the ability to go after them um, in, in one form or another. And, you know, this, this kind of notion of an NFT and minting, um, uh, a, a, a phrase or a, a voice or a conversation, you know, it may not be an NFT. That's, that, that's kind of the popular term, but I, I do think that there's going to be some form of, of digital, um, registration of, of a conversation, of a phrase, of a, a of a voice print. And, know yeah, the, the the other thing I'll say just on 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 the the heels of that is because that voice print is is unique to each person uh, I think that uh, you, the ability to to fake it and the ability to authenticate it is is something that we will be able to enforce and and you know the the industry will move how it moves but I, I think we've seen pretty clearly around um, ownership of, of assets and, and the fact that they are protected to either the individual organization or whoever um, is the author of it.
0: Yeah, no, uh, you, you touched on a lot of uh, really important things. And Brett, I'm going to turn to you. Um, you heard what Kat said. She touched on a, a lot of different aspects of this. I want to get your thoughts. Uh, what stood out to you and, and where do you think this is all going?
3: Yeah, well, let me first say, uh, just having come back from the Voice Summit, there was a lot of talk about synthetic voices. And I'll just start on the positive that, you know, it's really great to see how many good use cases there are of this. They were showing, uh, someone showed me like a, you know, President Zelensky from Ukraine. You know, he, he speaks in Ukrainian when he's speaking. And otherwise, you have to read subtitles to understand what he's saying. But someone used their technology to use his voice but to speak it in English and to speak it in other languages, right? So you can now hear it and feel like you're hearing it from him, but you're hearing it in your language. They're talking about in the news. There's, you know, Val Kilmer was able to have a voice in Top Gun. So I think there's a lot of, you know, I think in a previous uh, episode or two, you talked about Darth Vader and James Earl Jones and the ability of that voice to go on forever makes me happy. So I think there's a lot of great uses of synthetic, but I also think like most technologies with the good comes the bad side, right? And I, I, you know, I'm sure we probably all share this worry about where this is going in, you know, the ability for people to uh, use someone's voice, say things they wouldn't mean, but then others to believe that that person actually said it, right? And so it used to be you could trust your eyes and ears. And now I think we're going down a path and it's going to get worse over time where just because you heard someone say it doesn't actually mean they said it. And so I, that's my biggest worry with this. It's one thing when they show it off and you kind of know it's a fake thing. And it's, you know, they're they're. I think with the Joe Rogan and jobs, it's intentionally, you know, sort of like this wouldn't really happen necessarily or things like that where you, you know, but as we go on, I think there's going to be a lot of these, the deep fake stuff they talk about where people are going to have a hard time. They're going to hear something and they're going to believe it, even though I'm sorry, there's my Alexa devices going off, But, uh, and that's my biggest concern with synthetic voices
0: going forward. No, I agree with a lot of that, too. Ben, I'm going to give you the last word on this. Uh, Your thoughts on this piece.
1: I'm split on it. Uh, The marketer in me thinks that this is a brilliant PR move because, look, here we are talking about it. It's been all over the news. Everyone's talking about it. So um, kudos to this firm for creating such an excellent PR stunt. The legal ramifications of it are, you know, TBD. So we'll see what kind of issues they run into um, with with Joe Rogan's representatives and Steve Jobs' estate. Uh, you know, to me, this is this is like something out of a Michael Crichton book that's actually real, um, where in the same way that Photoshop and related platforms have completely nullified photographic evidence in so many cases. Um, and what you've seen, it, you know, in the past couple of years, in what deep fakes have done for video, we're now seeing this in the voice world. And um, to, to Kat's point, this is only going to become more prominent. And yes, Brett, th- this is a novelty for now, but this is going to infiltrate um, every aspect of life as we know it. And there's a good side and a bad side. There, there are some excellent use cases of being able to um, fabricate authentic voices we do it ourselves at converse now we customize voice profiles to the brand so um, brands will simply record you know some of their top agents and then those voices become the voice of the brand so that people calling in you know to any store will get the same voice or You can customize a voice profile for region, right? So that when you're ordering in New England, you're speaking with someone, you know, with a Boston accent, what have you. If you're ordering in Texas, you are greeted by a virtual assistant who sounds like they're from Texas. But this is the dark side of that technological advancement. And yes, it's very far-fetched to think about Joe Rogan interviewing Steve Jobs right now, but it... We just have to bring it back to our responsibility as consumers to consume content that we actually want to engage in, um, rather than buying into, you know, uh, nefarious AI for for lack of a better term. So it, it shows off the capability of of what what this industry can do, um, but it also really Puts us in a in a position where we we as members of the voice AI world have to be ethical and responsible for how we use this technology.
0: It's uh, yeah, well said. I think everyone's comments on this were well said. I mean, it's it's a supernova of ethical quandaries going off. You know, it's it's um, (laughs) it's a voice of a dead person for starters with nobody's approval, talking about made up stuff for second of all for a piece of content <laughs> deployed a piece of original content deployed for a in in the marketing service of a startup um it uh there is i i hope that uh companies enjoy this wild west period because it is not going to last uh this is not going to last very long um, I'll, I'll share this and we'll, we'll draw this to a close. I've, I've talked about this story uh, on this show several times, but my, my experience um, with voice started way before Alexa. I have a very vivid memory of um, there was a clock on the wall in my parents' house. And my mom had gotten a, a lot of family members to record their voice talking about, you know, it's three o'clock or it's 11 o'clock, um, and, uh, and when my grandmother passed away, uh, we were sitting there, and the clock went off, and it was my grandmother saying it was two o'clock, and, and my mom was very, very upset by that, um, and I, I think about that every time I see this sort of thing. It's like, did anybody ask, you know, Laurene Powell Jobs, you know, for her opinion on this? Hell no. You know, and that's, there's no way that that's going to be permissible for very long. So uh, it's interesting. Uh, You know, Joe Rogan probably thinks it's funny, you know, and and for him, it probably is funny. It's just another way to promote him, him. but um, it's, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's really, uh, it's, it's challenging. For the space um, and it's something that I think has to be actively talked about. and I just appreciate y'all's comments on it here. I appreciate you taking the time to be part of the show. Cat, uh, Brett, Ben, appreciate you sharing your time and your expertise, but not not just me, but with the audience as well.
1: Great. thank you so much for hosting.
2: Uh, thank you, Bradley.
0: Appreciate y'all. So for season seven episode five of this week in Voice, thank you for listening. Thank you
1: for watching. if you're watching on YouTube. Until next time.